Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Hey, everybody! Welcome again. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor right here. I want to welcome all of our physical locations and those online. So glad you're with us to hear God's word. And before I get into God's word, one thing I want to just share with you is next week. Everybody say it. Next week. A very important week in the life of our church. It's one of those weekends where uh, if you call the Block Church home, I really, really am praying you'd be in the house if If you're part of our online family, make sure you're glued to the screen. It's Celebration Sunday, and it's going to be powerful. We're going to share all the updates from here to stay. Uh, We're going to have some baptisms in conjunction uh, with the day. Uh, We're going to give our first offering to here to stay. Uh, We'll do our first give. My family and I, we're going to bring our big give. And for some, it will be your big give or your end of the year giving or your first give. It's going to be really powerful. And for those of us uh, who have turned in cards, uh, there's certainly still time to do that. Uh, But we'll be giving you an update on where we are at with our total commitments for here to stay. And if you want to be included in that, if you, if you want your household to be included in that, which helps us plan, prepare, and budget, uh, you still got time to turn that in. And so we'll share all that next week. It's going to be special. Let's be in the house. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. So week five of joy, a study of Philippians. That's today. Uh, I wish we could spend a year on this. We got a lot of good stuff coming in the new year. But when I was thinking about chapter three of Philippians, which is what I'll do today, I, I was reminded of uh, Whole30. Anybody ever do Whole30 before? Yeah, any healthy people in the house? Uh, I'll probably do it again. I will. However, I was told when we did it, I was told that you would feel great. I was told that you'd be shedding pounds. And they lied to me. Kind of. Uh, what happened was, is the first couple weeks were absolutely miserable. Come on, anybody addicted to sugar? Uh, carbs, right? You find out that, oh, this isn't just like a food, you know, kind of normal thing. No, like my, my body wants it, it needs it. And through Whole30, those first couple weeks, maybe three weeks, whatever it was, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I'm withdrawing from sugar and carbs, and, uh, and so I'm, of course, mad in my heart because I'm like, they promised me that I would be thin and that my hair would grow back and that, you know, I don't know, I'm making stuff up. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit until about week three and a half, week four, I hit what they called tiger blood, tiger blood. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you started to feel real good. All of a sudden, the pounds begin to fall away. And when that happens, my God, (laughs) you know, it's just like, but anyway, and so I was glad I stayed on the journey of whole 30. There's a reason there's a number attached, you know? And when I I think about that, it it reminds me uh, that our, our journey to joy or our journey in Christ takes time. 
In, in fact, you don't just arrive overnight at game-changing joy. It's kind of like Whole30. I hate to break it to you. There, there's going to be some navigating from others. There's going to be some beholding Christ. There's going to be some repenting. Uh, there's going to be some lamenting. There, there's a combination of spiritual experiences that take place before you arrive at the strength of your joy. I, friends, am still on this journey. And I think you are too. And so I want to preach a message today and I want to title it Journey to Joy. Journey to joy. Look at somebody next to them and tell them you're going to arrive. Come on, tell them you're going to arrive. You're going to arrive. Maybe some of you said, I have arrived. I'm perfect. That's why you're single. <laughs> Amen. Okay, um, we're going Philippians 3, a lot of verses. Unfortunately, I got to skip a few for the sake of time. There's just too much here. Uh, but, but let's go verse 1. And I'm going to warn you, verse 1 uh, and two, and then I'm going to throw in 18 and 19 at the top. It's really intense. We're going to get to joy. It's a journey, but, but, but just buckle your seatbelt. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Thank you, Paul. And I hope that when you hear me preach, you have that gratitude. We're like, hey, the preachers, my pastors, they're helping me safeguard my faith. Watch out for those dogs. That's verse two. Hello, watch out for those dogs. Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And then verse 18, we'll jump to that. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Great theologian, Charles Spurgeon, he says, he thinks Paul's weeping for three reasons. Uh, on account of the guilt of these enemies of the cross, his sadness. Uh, second, on account of all the ill effects of their con conduct. See, Paul's not just hurting for his own self, he's hurting for them also and for how it impacts the kingdom. And finally, on account of their doom, that, that, that they're headed to an eternity separated from God. Yet, I do think it's interesting, and God help me, he never weeps for his own persecution. Joy in the midst. Now, I want to give you some context here because he's referencing the troublemaking legalists who attempted to deceive the Philippians. He calls them dogs, which is exactly the term of contempt Jews would use against Gentiles. Uh, Paul said a lot by using this word against the Jewish legalist. So he flipped it on them because he's like, hey, you're no better if you're a legalist, if you're, if you're uh, making this about something that it's not. These evildoers, he's basically saying, they, they, they wanted people to become Jews through circumcision before becoming Christians. In other words, think of it like this. Think about cleaning up before coming to Christ. A lot of people, and you might be sitting there today going, I gotta get right, I gotta get right before I come to church. Or before. And, and so Paul's like, no, 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 no. And this is what these, these are what these dogs are telling you. 
is get right, fix it, all this stuff before coming to the altar, before coming to Christ, before coming to church. And that is not the way of faith. And so, so that's why he's so frustrated, right? But then he also goes on and he talks about the act of circumcision, right? And, and you're going to see that here, which we know it's the cutting of, uh, away of the flesh. But circumcision is also spiritual. I've preached about it. But he uses it here. Circumcision, friends, is not bad or sinful. Okay, Paul here, however, by way of pun, he uses mutilation of the flesh on par with the pagans who practice mutilation of the body, which God forbids in Leviticus. I want to say something here because I don't know where we're going to find it in other themes of our messages in the new year, but I do want to address mutilation for a second. Uh, because it's, it's showing up here in the text. And I want to say that we should be guarding against mutilation of the flesh at all costs, not referencing circumcision. Uh, and I'm, I'm very careful, please hear me, I'm very careful to inject my own political leanings in my messages, but when it comes to children, I don't play around. And you shouldn't either. And I, we should highly discourage and pay attention to our kids if we see cutting taking place, okay? Uh, because it's a sign of depression and darkness to release or refocus pain. You see this with the prophets of Baal who opposed Elijah and cut themselves because their God wouldn't answer. See, they're, they're looking for a form of release and pain that only God can fill. I also want to say this, friends, please hear me. We should very much guard against any and all mutilation of children to encourage child transitions. It's madness and it's sinful. I'm not saying that there's not emotional things going on, but I'm telling we got to guard against this. We've got to be careful to not push and promote things like this. You've seen things in the move, in the, in the, in the news of, of certain uh, companies even uh, pushing forth children in imagery that's sexual. This is wrong. This is sinful. This is dangerous. All of this is an age-old strategy of attack that values children and especially young boys. Hear me. In Exodus, Pharaoh has all the baby boys killed. To eliminate manhood is to eliminate society's future. And what I'm telling you is, is, and, and, is Paul's addressing this and, 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 and he's, he's taking it in a different direction because he, he's just reminding them, hey guys, we do not do this to our temples, to our bodies. We might have some things emotionally and in our mind that we've got to address and deal with, but I'm telling you, it is, we, we better guard our kids. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You can call me what you want. But I refuse to, within our church and our pulpit, not draw a line in the sand and say, we will guard and protect our children, their minds, and their bodies. I told you it was a little intense. It's a journey to joy. Verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. 
Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Okay, we are the circumcised. And what that means is, is our hearts, the, the, our hearts, the hardness of our hearts, the callousness of our hearts in Christ, it's been cut away. We have a sensitivity to Jesus and the things of God. Those who worship in spirit and truth are truly the circumcised. That's what he's saying in the text. The Greek word here for worship is service to Christ. Okay, we serve our Lord and worship God. Why? Because we love God. And two, because we don't trust our flesh. Meaning it's better for us to spend our time doing kingdom work because it'll keep us out of trouble. What's the old saying, right? I mean, idle hands is the devil's playground, so to speak. Okay, it's proof of those who are truly circumcised. There's sensitivity, okay, a, a heart sensitivity towards God. And it's active service for the kingdom as worship. Now, verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which is Jewish tradition. I'm, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This is crazy. Because these bums that he's talking about, they're still creating dissension in the body of Christ and making it difficult for those who are coming to Christ. See that in Acts 15, okay? But they keep reminding Paul of his horrible past of persecuting Jesus followers. They're joy suckers are what they are. But I just want to say something here is, is Paul is, is, is he's putting forth his credentials, not his defense, what he's doing here, and it's fascinating, is he's putting forth his credentials to go, I was perfect, and I still didn't measure up. That's what he's doing. He's like, listen, I did everything. I was the best Jew. I, I was righteous, and I, I was flawless. I obeyed every law, and my heart was hardened. It was... It, it, it was dirty. It was, it was calloused. It was gross. I was full of sin, even though I was perfect. Because the thing is, and, and what you'll see, is, is that apart from Christ, there is no good in us. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory the hope of redemption. It's Christ in me, the hope of victory. It's Christ in me that is salvation. It's Christ in me that produces any sort of positive productivity. It destroys pride. It elevates humility. It brings hope and love. And so he's, he's illuminating that in, in a brilliant way. Now, when I reference joy suckers, because that's exactly what these religious, uh, you know, people are doing. And it made me think uh, about one of the greatest thefts of joy is when we let people steal our joy. Uh, my, my son, uh, I let him watch Home Alone because Pastor Derek told me I could. I asked and he said so. And, um, and, and I watched Home Alone with my son and they said some, some not some nice words in there like butthead and some good old 90s words. You remember those? 
and so the other day, my, my son was uh, with one of his buddies and he called him, uh, what, what is the word he called him? Uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to think. He called him a buckethead. And I think he meant to say butthead, but he didn't know what any of it meant. And, then he, and he thought it was the funniest thing. Well, then when the kid called him that back, he got all mad in his heart. I said, bro, you can't dish it out if you don't take it. You know, and, and it's like, you, bro, you went from like a funny moment to like, oh, you made everybody else miserable because you didn't like somebody calling you a name. And like, I, I try to explain to my son this. I said, Maverick, your, your family's in the ministry, okay? People are going to call you all sorts of things. You need to let it roll off. Like, you got the best mom. You got the best dad, I think. You know, you got you to... Gotta, a good looking dog. I can't say anything positive about my dog. You got a wonderful sister. Got a lot of people who love you. If you let all the stuff that people who don't really know you and don't understand your blessings and the favor on your life, like if you let all that stuff get to you, you'll never be happy. You'll never have any joy. And what I'm trying to do is, I know he's five, but I'm trying to redirect his, his mind, his ears, his focus, because there's always gonna be noise. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and Paul is going to help us see how to navigate that. Uh, but I just want to say that, you remember that old saying that, that, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Remember that? Well, they lied to us, okay? Because words can hurt. People can throw a word curse on you. And you got to learn how to block it. So when someone hurts you with your words or even puts a word curse over you, like you're never going to make it, like uh, you're going to get sick, like you're going to die, uh, like, like you're no good, like you're not valuable, like you were a mistake, all these different things. Like you got to learn how to navigate that stuff and rebuke it in Jesus' name. So here's how you do it. Let me, let me give you a little quick list of how to, how to block some of these, these, these uh, wrong words in your mind or these word curses or a little bit of drama from the outside. You Number one, you rebuke it. You say, in Jesus' name, I don't receive this and I don't accept it. That's not who I am. I'm a Christ follower. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. I belong at the table. I'm anointed for good works. I'm God's masterpiece, right? I'm all, I'm a friend of God, right? I'm all these different things. You rebuke it, right? Number two, you focus on what you have. Focus on what you have. I got good parents. I got a great church. Got a wonderful pastor. I got, don't laugh. You know, I got, right? And you do, what do I have? What do I have? What do I have? Uh, you confront it. Number three, we forget this one. We confront it lovingly via Matthew 18. You got an issue with somebody, you're here for somebody. If it's worth your time, you go to them directly. If that doesn't work, then you bring somebody else who's a Christian in on the conversation. If that doesn't work, right, you go to a church leader. You follow what's already laid out for you. Follow the instructions. Number four, you pray for God's voice over you. You pray for God's voice over you. God... I'm hearing negative things. Would, can I, can, would you clear it out so I can hear your voice? Right? And then, and then you repeat. You come back. You read God's truth about you. Right? And then you say it out loud. You, you finish with that. Don't let people steal your peace or dictate your joy. And boy, oh boy, I'm guilty of this. And you probably are too. But 
here's a little bit of a formula to help us and most importantly, the people around us to remind us to do these things when we're struggling. And when you see somebody struggling, by the way, one of your friends, one of your counterparts, one of your, uh, your spouse, whatever, don't shame, blame, and frame, okay? Just say, hey, 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 hold on, let's stop. Let's rebuke this. Let's focus on what we have. Let's confront it lovingly if we need to. Let's pray for God's voice and let's declare God's truth over you right now in Jesus' name. And here's Paul's response, okay? In verse seven, he goes, oh, I love this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, he had the accolades, the accomplishments, the knowledge, the experience. He gave all the ways he was supremely Hebrew and perfect and qualified. And at the end of the day, it's all rubbish and worthless. All your noise, all your insults, all your drama, all your beating me and hurting me. It's what is it? It's nothing compared to beholding my Savior. And he's saying that sometimes, guys, good things can get in the way of God things. Education sometimes results in arrogance. Wealth can sometimes result in wrong security. Promotions can re result in loving increase over the increaser. We can end up loving our kids more than our spouse. We can want people more than God. Success can be contributed to our own doing. And it's not wrong to be blessed, but what he's saying is sometimes the good things we get that even come from God, sometimes they can get in the way of God's things. I become righteous, not by works, but by faith. And that's what he's saying to these joy suckers, these bums. He's saying, guys, you can't circumcise your way into Christianity. You, you, you become a Jew, if you will. You, you become a, a part of the chosen people by faith alone. It's by grace. It's a massive shift, which is, by the way, why we offer salvation every single week. Because you could have came in here today thinking, man, this place is going to burn down with me in here. And God's like, no, you have a religious mindset that's been lied to you. God's like, I don't care what you did. Like, like we're learning from a murderer. But of course, that murderer is a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're using yesterday's problems as today's testimony. And that's exactly what's going to happen to you when you just throw down the works and go, all right, I believe. And it's God's grace that will begin to wash you and change you. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him 
sharing in his death so that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Have you ever been so in love that you would skip comfort, ease, and hobby just to be with the one you love? Paul is declaring, this is the heritage of the believer. This is the privilege of being a co-heir that we might suffer at times just so we could look more like Christ. This was the cry of many of the original apostles to suffer, suffer for Christ as martyrs. There are martyrs, friends, people being persecuted and killed, martyrs for their faith around the world. I believe I referenced this in week one of this series, but did you know that there are Iranian women right now who are persecuted, but growing one of, if not the fastest church in the world underground, because they're like, what can you do to me? Take my life? What's my life? Compared to the knowledge of being with Christ in eternity. There are, there are Christians in China, state-sponsored churches. That's the only kind of churches you can, you can go to, which I, I've read and, and understand that there's even facial recognition for you to go to church so they know who are Christians. There are people who are being slaughtered for their faith all day long. And sometimes when we hear their stories of those who survived or who those who are under persecution or come out of it, they got more joy than we do because we can still order a pizza, no problem. And I'm not saying this won't come to our shores. It, it probably will. Things I said earlier in this message, I'm sure at some point they're going to have a problem with me saying it. But here's what I know. We got to ask God to, to have a heart that says, God, even if I suffer for you, help me see the good in it. And God, give me an attitude like those who are dying across the world for you. And God, please, right now, in Jesus' name, help those who are suffering for you. Be with them in Jesus' name. Rescue them in Jesus' name. When it comes to knowing his resurrection power, the power of a resurrection, it's an evidencing power. It's the evidence and seal that everything Jesus did and said was true. The power of his resurrection is a justifying power. It's the receipt and proof that the sacrifice of the cross was accepted as full payment. And we're going to see justice one day. It's a life-giving power. It means that those who are connected with Jesus Christ receive that same resurrection life and power. It's a, it's a consoling and comforting power that we're promised. It promises that our friends and loved ones who are dead in Christ will live for eternity in Christ. And one day when we pass, we spend eternity with Jesus. I got to close, but I want to read verse 12 and... 13, but he says, I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, ready? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of this race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling to us. Notice Paul with great humility. I'm not there yet. 
I'm not there yet. Even though he's probably the most holy person alive at this point, writing this letter in jail, still going, I'm not quite there yet in humility. Also notice that at the end of his ministry in prison, he's still motivated to grow and keep leaving sin behind him. He gives a formula for joy and for growth. Here it is, forget the past. The good and the bad. Like, don't forget the good, but just don't get stuck on the glory days. And secondly, look forward to the future. In other words, the best friends is both, both now and it's ahead. Because if you don't see the good in now, you'll never get to the good tomorrow. And he, he wants to meet his potential, to lay hold of perfection, the, the new man, the conversion, uh, the minister, the church planner, the writer, the, the hope of Christ in him, the prize of beholding Christ and leaving it all on the field. He wants to leave, leave the earth with no regrets. And, and I want to ask you that question. Are you living your life at this juncture, going forward in Christ Jesus, one day when you expire, will you leave this earth with no regrets? That's how I, I don't want to get to my deathbed and go, I, I should have did this. I, I should have done that. I, I should have bought this building. I should have gave this amount. I should have wrote that book. I should have wrote that song. I, I should have I discipled that person. I should have took that risk. Like, man, I want to live my life totally poured out. And he says this in verse 17, and this is, this is how I close. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. See, Paul, he makes case for leadership and the need for spiritual leaders. He says, follow me. He repeats 1 Corinthians 11 right here. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't get caught up in the world's drama, all the things people say and do. We've got a mission. We are on a mission to revive every block. Go win the world for Jesus. He's saying, hey, follow me. And I want to say to you, church, right now, I'm not a perfect man. I'm far from perfection, but I'm hungry to see the kingdom come in our city. I'm hungry to behold Christ. I'm hungry to meet my potential. I'm hungry to raise godly kids. I'm, I'm hungry to live with integrity and purity. I'm hungry to be faithful to God's word. I'm hungry to see men in our church take their rightful place in society, in this city, and in this church. I'm hungry to see our city transformed and different for however long it takes. I'm hungry to build a temple and a house for God so that God would move in the nations would come to us. I'm hungry to do all I can to get you to heaven, to get your friends and family to heaven. Come on. I'm hungry to lead you towards your highest potential in Jesus Christ, to see you deny the world and pick up your cross. I'm hungry to make sure the next generation has a firm foundation and a place to go. All I'm saying is, is I want to see our city revived. I might not be a perfect man, but I am somebody hungry for a few things that are reflective of the kingdom of God. And I'm just wondering if you'd come with me on this journey to joy. We haven't arrived. And in great humility, we know we got a long way to go. But man, I don't wanna have any regrets. 
And I believe you don't either. The first and most important way that we don't have any regrets is we make sure that we're on the right side of eternity. And I want you to stand up at every location. If you're online, please stay with us. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, like today is the day. Maybe you've wandered off, you're far from him. Now's the time. Come home. Come home. You don't got to clean up. He cleaned you up. If that's you, you hear my voice. So I got to get right with God. I got to begin a journey with Jesus. I, I got to renew my relationship with Christ. If that's you at every location, even online, said, so I got to get right with God. Would you lift your hand right now? Right now. You can put a hand emoji in the chat. You can lift your hand at a location. We want to come pray for you. Don't wait. Don't let pride steal this from you. Come on, no regrets. Be on the right side of eternity. If that's you, come on, lift your hand. Lift your hand right now. Can we say this prayer, church? It's not magic. It's a starting point, but let's encourage those who raise their hand. Come on, let's all say this out loud. Loud and proud. Can we say, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. I believe in you today. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you be my savior and my king? Would you raise me to new life like you were raised? I accept you. As Savior today, I'm yours and you're mine all my days. In Jesus' name, listen to me, friends. If you prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. You're on the right side of eternity. And while your life may not get easier, I promise it's going to get better. Come on, let's give it up for all those who cross the line of faith today. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.